Um, but let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. Well, Father, we yeah, praise you for being a perfect Father who loves us with a perfect love, who disciplines us with a perfect discipline, who gives us the gift of children, gives us your word to guide how we love and care for our children, who gives us clear direction and how to chasten our children and discipline our children so that we would hopefully point them to Christ and their need for Christ, that we would show them their need for your grace and also prepare them for life in your family, prepare them to appreciate and understand your discipline, that they will come to know and taste for many days of their life. So we ask that you would give us now wisdom from your word, that you'd give us hearts to receive and to believe, that you would give us the kind of love for our children uh, that disciplines them faithfully. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, many of the sessions so far that we've considered together on parenting have really focused on formative training of children, which means the proactive, daily, encouraging instruction of our children about God, about his word, about life, about relationships, about how to navigate uh, this world that God has created and put them in with wisdom. In this lesson, we're going to start to consider corrective training, which means the responsive, daily, and usually painful correction of our children when they wander from God and his word, when we see in them a lack of love for God and others. And I find that so much of the corrective training of children, especially when they're young, is in usually love your neighbor. <laughs> That's typically the most common thing I find parents of young children have to say when it comes to sharing toys, when it comes to food, when it comes to their interaction with siblings, with friends, with parents. It's so much of it is on loving neighbor and helping them see what lack of love for neighbor is and how that lack of love for neighbor is a revealing and exposing a lack of love for God. So we'll talk a lot about some of the pragmatics of that, especially next week. But this week we want to sort of lay a biblical foundation for just faithful parenting through discipline. Parenting is not clean and tidy. We've said that a number of times. It's a joy, it's a good work, it's a gift, and it's messy. We're sinners redeemed by the grace of God in Christ and we're parenting children who are also sinners with the hope of them coming to faith in Christ and being redeemed by his grace. But those two factors alone make parenting a bit of an ugly affair at times. Me as a sinner redeemed by God's grace, caring for, shepherding, and parenting little sinners who we hope to be redeemed by the grace of God in Christ. Just the number of things that can get messy are many. And especially when you just think about the sheer volume of time you're going to spend together. Like if you just, even as a grown-up, as a Christian, you move in with a roommate at the age of 23 or 24, and you live with that roommate, it doesn't take long before there's going to be conflict. Just with two grown-ups who love the Lord and even love each other, because just the amount of time together. If you're a newlywed, you, you jump in there, and now for the first time, okay, you're actually sharing a physical space, and you didn't realize just how many opinions you had about stuff. You didn't realize how many opinions they'd have about stuff. Things that you didn't know existed that you could have opinions about, like thread count for sheets. 
like who thought anybody cared? Till you got married and realized, wait a minute, these sheets are too scratchy. Well, it's a thread count issue. Well, wait, these sheets are too soft. Well, it's because there's a high thread. And, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, we're, we're, we've got conflict about thread count. And any number of other things that just are going to come. And so how much more with children? We're just, the, the older they get, the more mobile they get, the more verbal they get, the more they enter into their world and the more of them starts to come out, the more that starts to collide with the other people in their world, with the rules and structures in their world. And the Lord seems to be perfectly comfortable with this reality. He seems to be very comfortable with that reality. That when we witness the sanctification of souls in the story of Scripture, we just have to conclude that God is glorified through the slow, painful process of redeeming and transforming fallen people. But he seems to be glorified by that. Not by just fixing stuff, but by slowly transforming things, slowly redeeming things, slowly working things out. It's surgery. And parents are called upon by God to participate in that surgery all while we're also being surgically transformed. And so we who are consistently needing change and help being called upon by God to help others change who need help. And so the main question I want us to consider today is what does it mean to be faithful parents when our children think, feel, and act foolishly or sinfully? What does it mean to be faithful parents? What is God calling upon us to think, feel, and do in response? And so here's the main idea. You should have it there in your handout. That faithful parenting requires humble, loving, corrective discipline. We're going to talk some about that. It requires it. With a view to helping our children see the goodness of God, strive against sin, come to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, and prepare them for the discipline the Lord will use to bring about their holiness. I know with, for Ruth and I, with our kids, that's one thing that we've really been concerned about is when they come to faith in Christ by God's grace and now are baptized and placed into the body of Christ and now begin a, a life, hopefully, of following Jesus, are they prepared for the discipline they're going to be under from God? I Meaning, do they have a framework for that? Do they have a category that this God now that they serve, this Christ they're following, is going to be deeply invested in their transformation and sanctification? Are they ready to accept that from God? Or is the idea of even God disciplining them, chastening them, correcting them, is that going to be an unusual and a strange thing to them because we haven't prepared them well for it? So over the next couple of sessions, we're going to unpack that main idea a bit. And I think all of us as parents would kind of love a magic bullet, right? Just give me what's the three-step process? that we just dial that in and work that over every single time that's gonna produce God-loving, Christ-loving, people-loving children, parent-respecting. And by God's grace, he's never left us one. And I think the reason is you will need his help every day and a very different kind of help sometimes every day. As parents, we have to, we have to learn how to pray every day for wisdom. We have to learn to pray every day for God to give grace in a particular moment to speak to our kids in a constructive way, to actually have the energy to engage. I don't know, some of you have been parents a while, you, you've known it, right? There's something you see 
and you start weighing, is this worth it? To, do I really want to jump into this? Because you know, if I address this thing right now, this will be the next three hours of my life. This might be the next three days of my life. Am I ready for the conflict that me intervening here is going to create? And depending on the age of this kid, maybe them just freezing me out emotionally for the next three days. When, and just there being a rub and a tension in this relationship for the next however long. Or am I ready to endure this temper tantrum in the grocery store over this particular thing that we're about to face? Am I, am I ready for that public display? Am I ready to respond? Oh, and, and this is where parenting has changed a lot. I remember like being a child in a grocery store and really being out of line, stubborn, angry, throwing a fit, and just right there getting a swat. And then hearing another parent walking by say to my mom, you go, girl. And they just keep walking like, there was, there was support publicly, socially. You know, I've seen, I remember as a child seeing parents offer spoons to other parents who didn't come armed <laughs> to whatever it was. Hey, do you need, you need a spoon? You need an implement? I got one right over here. And then, and they open their bag and there's just, like, <laughs> there's one for every occasion. And it's a little different now where I think in our culture, in our society, I see young parents really fearful and sometimes with cause that if I really address this faithfully, biblically in this place, that there, there's going to be public outcry, not public support. And so some of the things we talk about, okay, that you do have to find a place and a time to do it. But yet I think what we have to accept is, okay, we have to be committed to it. And love for God and love for our children demands it. Um, getting the order right, <clears throat> that's going to be important, that first section here, that only God is a perfect parent. We're flawed representatives. We rely on his word for light and life. In most parenting situations, any number of wise things could be said and done. I just want to encourage you in that as well, that sometimes you're like, okay, what's the exact right thing to do? And it's, well, there might be 14 good things you could do. There might be 14 thing, bad things to do. But there's also could be a whole range, and that's why different parents may handle different things in different ways at different moments. And there's meant to be that kind of freedom and liberty. That's not meant to overwhelm us with all the options. Because I think sometimes we can get paralyzed in discipline because we're thinking there's just one way in this moment to handle this one thing. And so then we're paralyzed trying to find what that one thing is. And sometimes, okay, there might be seven different directions you could go here that are all faithful. That's why we have to ask the Lord for wisdom. We need the Holy Spirit to convict and correct us at times. God is the potter, we are the clay. He's the great physician, and we're usually the instruments in his hands as parents. He's the savior, we're the messengers. He's the king, we're the ambassadors. So we have to get that order right, that we're there in the lives of our children to represent him, to speak for him to bring his law, his kingdom law, to bear so that they would need, see their need for him. And that's again, that's important so that we're really careful what kind of 
rules and structures and discipline we enact with our children so that as they, by God's grace, enter into the kingdom of God, are they going to be shocked by the differences? Like, wow, the things I grew up under are entirely different. The things that I was chastened over and disciplined over aren't at all what God disciplines over. Like, that's going to be some of the questions we have to ask ourselves. Is this important to God, what I'm about to address? Or is it just important to me? First um, Peter 4.11, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. That's weighty. Whoever speaks, speak as if you're representing God. Why? Because you are. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That's a really important statement. This is hard work. This is taxing, exhausting work. And it must be by the strength that God supplies. Like you'll run out of energy disciplining your children in like four hours. And you're, you're just a third of the way through the day. And you've got 15 more years to go, however much it is. And so how are you going to endure except by God's strength? Because I think he's committed to making sure he gives you something you can't carry on your own. That's how he's built it. And so there will be times where you feel like, I can't do this, and you're meant to go, exactly. That's, you're getting it. If you're coming to the realization, I can't do this, you're closer to probably what God has in mind. If you're seeing in this work of consistent discipline, okay, this is really hard. This is maybe too hard. It's too much. It's too relentless. It's okay, you're, you're getting there. That's why he says it's by the strength that he supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. In other words, that by the time we get to the end of it, it's really clear it was God's power, not mine. It was God's grace, not my brilliance. It was... God's wisdom, not my wisdom. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. And so when we speak and act as parents, we speak and act for God. We represent him to our children. And so this can help us remember that corrective discipline is not to be punitive merely or reactive or something that just flows out of our own personal frustration or desire for vindication. Now, those moments will come, and you'll know it, that whatever you said, whatever you did, was simply in anger. And that's why we want to be really careful about leading into discipline after saying the words, all right, I've had enough. Or, all right, that's the last, like, that signals something to kids, that the reason we're doing this is our own frustration level, not the wrongness of what they've done. And so we want to be careful that how we lead into those moments of discipline is actually reflecting the actual sin of what's happened, the actual wrongdoing, not my fed upness. And this is one reason why we want to be careful about counting to three. If we want to give warnings, that's fine, but it's not more wrong in three seconds than it was right now. And so we want to be careful about signaling, okay, this is, yeah, it's only serious when I've had enough. That's when this is going to be a big deal, which is different than giving a warning. I think it's okay to say, okay, here's your warning. Here's the line. You've crossed over it. Here's what I've called you to do and asked you to do, and here's where you're at. And this is your warning, that if you don't move back this way and obey and do what you've asked, 
you, you will be disciplined. Because God warns. Again, that's, that's, a ref, that's reflective of how God interacts with his children and disciplines. But that's very different than, all right, one, two, three, and then at the last moment they hop back over. That dynamic is not what you want in discipline. And that's different than warning. That's them testing it as far as they can go. And then figuring out, okay, how, long, how far can I push it before I have to be back in line? And that's why sometimes I think you mix it up. Sometimes you warn, other times don't. Because sometimes God doesn't. It's just, I already told you this was wrong. You know this is wrong. And you did it. <clears throat> and then if your kid says, well, where's the, I'll count to three. You know, and just sometimes you don't get three. Sometimes you don't get a warning. Because you already know. You've already been taught. So even just thinking through together as husband or wife or as you parent, just how do we want to communicate with our kids the reason that discipline is happening? At the end of the day, we pray for our children to see the goodness of God. That's one of the things we're praying that they would see through discipline is his goodness. In Exodus 33, 18, Moses asked the Lord, please show me your glory, that great marvelous prayer of the Bible, just show me your glory. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. And he's going to fulfill that by moving before Moses, hiding him in the cleft of the rock, and then pronouncing his name. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. That's primarily about idolatry. That whenever you see that generational, third, fourth generation, he's talking about not alcohol abuse, like if granddad abused alcohol, there's a generational sin that gets passed down in the DNA. You know, he's talking about if you embrace an idolatrous sin system in your home, your children will absorb that, and their children will absorb that, and God will visit that iniquity. You look at pornography in our culture, I would see that as what he's talking about, one example, where one whole generation just embraces something and has every generation since tasted that iniquity. And that been visited upon in a way. You see that. So this isn't about just an individual sin thread that goes through individual families per se, but generational in the sense that when a generation embraces idolatry, there's, there's, it's gonna, that's going to pass down. And God is going to be just in how he responds. But just to see that mercy, grace, slowness to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness make no sense if there's never justice. Because even the fact that God can be merciful and gracious and slow to anger is because he poured out his justice on who? On Christ. And so he, he doesn't clear the guilty. We either pay for it in eternal wrath or someone else pays for it for us. But either way, every record will be set straight. And so some, some of what discipline is trying to awaken in our kids is that how good God is that justice is real, that sin is punished, and that's part of the goodness of God. 
Which is why then the other part of the goodness of God you want is then the grace and the mercy that is available in Christ Jesus. And discipline is awakening them to their need for that. That's some of what we're doing. Second section, faithful parenting requires corrective discipline. Requires it. That scripture assumes this truth. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. If you've got a Bible with you, turn there. Hebrews 12. And we'll read verses 3 through 11 here. Where scripture says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's going to quote from Proverbs here. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Just a side note, that's a great verse that expresses the two primary ways that, rejection, that discipline is rejected. The first is we regard it lightly, we, we scorn it, we raise our fist against it. The second is you get weary by it, you faint under it. And that's really important to see because all of us will have different kids at different times that resist discipline differently. One, some will resist it with a high hand. Some of you may, kids may come to mind right now. That when you discipline, it's like, they're, you're like, okay, game on. It's like wartime. You'll have other kids that you discipline, it's, oh, I'm such a worthless, terrible person. And what God is saying is that's resisting discipline too. Don't be deceived. <laughs> that's not humility. That's fainting when reproved. That's being wearied when you reprove. And so you have to be ready with your kid when, when they faint to say, hey, don't change the subject here. I'm not the bad guy. Like, the discipline isn't the problem. Your sin is the problem. And to be able to say, son, daughter, that's, that's just a sneaky way of rejecting discipline. It's a sneaky way in self-deprecation of self this, of, of just making it still about your, that's not godly sorrow, that's worldly sorrow. And so don't bow up, but don't collapse. That's what he's getting at there. Don't scorn it, don't regard it lightly. But then don't pass out when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And so this was a hard one with our kids. When there'd be discipline, we, we wanted to see an acknowledgement of the wrong. We wanted to see them expressing the acknowledgement of the wrong. And at some point, we wanted them to thank us for the discipline. This was the hardest part. Is there'll be times where I'd have to say to one of the kids, hey, you need to go back into your mom and thank her for chastening you. You need to go back in and thank her for the spanking. And you, you need to realize that she, the love that came with that and how that's going to help your soul and that may save your life. And so you need to go be grateful and express that gratitude. So it's not enough just to go just for them to take it and change some behavior. I want you to see how good it is. And I want you to learn to acknowledge and express because that's what he's getting at here. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And do we see that? This is love. Where when God disciplines us, we go, Lord, thank you. 
This is good for me. This is your love for me. How hard is that? But that's some of what through, as we'll talk more about last week or next week, just the pragmatics of what you're sort of walking through in a process of discipline. Some of where you're wanting to land with kids is their own gratitude for the discipline. Their own gratitude for what it's meant to produce in them. It's like if somebody's walking on a foggy day beside a cliff and they're about to walk over the cliff and just as they're stepping over to fall, somebody grabs them and pulls them back. Are they going to be mad? Like, how dare you save my life? Who do you think you are? Or are they going to, oh my goodness, thank you. I had no idea I was about to destroy myself. <clears throat> that's, that's what we're trying to produce is for kids to realize, okay, this is, this is life-saving stuff. This is soul sort of, sort of driving to Christ stuff. That's how Proverbs thinks about and talks about discipline. That's how we ought to think about it. And he chastises every son whom he receives. Who here wants to be received by God? All right, well, then you've got to love being chastised by him. You've got to love reproof. Because that's the road into his presence. And if we want to be received, if, if we want to be called his son, his daughter, well, then, then this, the, this is the atmosphere of the household. This is built into it. And he doesn't think it's this awful, brutal thing. God never apologized. He won't apologize to anybody for discipline because he actually thinks it's loving and good. And that's why we should never apologize to our kids. And I've heard parents, I've heard over them saying, I'm sorry I have to do this. And you go, whoa, 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 don't, don't ever be sorry you have to do this. Don't ever be apologetic. Don't ever be ashamed as a parent of having to bring that kind of pain into your child's life because it's, it's loving. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. That's why to me, one of the most terrifying statements in the Bible is when Jesus, after these contentions with the Pharisees and Sadducees, and even the disciples are there, where Jesus turns to the disciples and says, let them alone. Think about that a minute. If God says to somebody, let them alone, they're blind guides, leading the blind, that's an awful idea. If God looks at us and goes, let them alone, let them have it, let them, which praise God with his children, he never says that. Why? Because he treats us as sons and daughters. He never says, leave them be. No, he's, he's, he's always going to intervene, and sometimes painfully. And so we're meant to see that apathy is actually the opposite of love often, not anger, not discipline, but apathy. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It's just a given in the Bible. And if you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Do we want to tell our kids you're actually illegitimate? You're not really my kid. Well, then just don't discipline them. That's what it's communicating. Is you're not really mine. But if there are kids, as we are God's kids, he's like, well, then we're going to be disciplined. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Now, I think there's a way in which this doesn't always happen in the moment, right? 
Sometimes that respect for your discipline will come in about 25 years. And oftentimes when they have their own children. That's when you might see it dawn on them that how great they had it to have parents who really disciplined them. And this is where, yeah, so much of this is in faith. Because you're not going to see the gladness and the discipline. You might not see the respect for it. You may not see the fruit you would hope to see. You're trusting. God says this in, in about 30 years. Right, we will say that to our kids, and, right? We'll say, in about 30 years, you'll thank me for this. And that is often true. That in about 20 or 30 years, they'll realize how good it was. We all had earthly fathers who disciplined us. We respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. It's a really encouraging statement, isn't it? How many of you feel like, man, it's just such a short time, this parenting, this discipline? And again, you won't appreciate that for about 20 years. How fast it goes. How all of a sudden it's over. And you realize what a short window it really was. But in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like a short time. It feels like an eternity. And so again, this is where so much of it is in faith. That this thing that is, feels like it's taking so hard, long and it's so difficult and the standoffs with my children and the, you know, sitting there waiting for their jaw to not set, you know, is, it's a short time, those 20 years you get with them. As it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Again, how many of us want to share in his holiness? We do, right? Well, then we've got to love discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And again, you get that farming illustration there, that planting and watering and pulling weeds, it's painful. It feels painful, not pleasant. But in about three or four months, when you're picking the crops off, like, okay, this was worth it. Or in about seven or eight years when the apple tree is finally in bloom and you're getting apples. Like, okay, this was good. Well, discipline's like that. In the moment, it feels painful, not just to them, but to you, right? Did your parents ever tell you that? This hurts me more than it hurts you. I remember going, whatever, man. <laughs> Pretty sure your butt doesn't feel the way mine does right now. <laughs> but as a dad, I've come to appreciate it. It's actually, it's hard to cause your children pain. And so there's something you have to be prepared for. If you're a young parent, there's a hump you're going to have to be ready to get over. And that's seeing your child suffer because you took action that created that suffering. To see them cry, which is absolutely what you want to see, is, and then to see them come back to you for comfort because... In some way, you've caused a kind of pain that is crushing to them. And I would even say, often that's the signal that your discipline went far enough, is that they come to you for comfort when it's over. If when it's over, they're pushing you away, that usually means you weren't hard enough. That's often what it means. A lot of parents think it means they were too hard. Now, you can be abusive. You can discipline in anger. And with a kind of force that is, it actually injures. That's not what, even we'll talk about it next week, that's what, not what discipline's ever meant to do, is injure. But it is meant to inflict pain. And there's a great reason why God has put all that fat on their backside. 
when it comes to the, the physical disciplines of him. There's a reason he gives us words to speak that actually penetrate and humble. Because some of what signals, okay, we've gone far enough, is there's a kind of pain and sorrow and tears that come that they actually move back toward you for consolation. And that's a really good sign because part of the goal of it is restoration. And so there'll be times where you may discipline and you think, okay, this was enough, but they're still, they're angry, they're pushing you away, they're whatever it is, and that's often a sign we haven't, we're not done. We haven't gone far enough. And, and that's counterintuitive sometimes. Now, you can now pass through the right distance and go too far. But then that will necessarily see anger at the end. You will see absolute collapse and terror from you. Anger is usually a signal you haven't quite gone far enough. Terror is a signal you've gone too far. Because you've actually presented something to your kids that is scary. I think God has given us a good broad window in the middle where we discipline in such a way that they're, they're humbled in a, in a healthy way broken and they see you as the one they need to go to for restoration. So the author of Hebrews, though, assumes parents who love their children will discipline their children. So I've heard parents say just even their first child has been born and they're already saying, yeah, we'll never spank. And I'm like, well, I hope you have just one kid and that they're really docile and responsive to verbal correction. Because if you have four, you have five, at least one in there is going to test that. And you're going to have a decision to make of do we actually care about his life or her life? I remember a pastor saying once that if you won't discipline your children, I know a devil who will. You know, if you won't teach them that there's, because you'll just send them out into the world and say, I'll let the world take care of this. I'll let, and yeah, however hard you think parenting discipline is, the world is far more violent and ruthless. Satan, there's no mercy. And so that's some of what we're trying to get in our own minds. And again, this is what I mean by just framing discipline in a biblical way. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his child. What a statement. Whoever spares it hates his child, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son for there's hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. What a statement. Discipline your son because at this stage there's hope. You can learn something. She can learn something. Don't set your heart by withholding discipline on putting them to death, which is what comes. Proverbs 22:15 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's how we all come into the world, just folly bound up, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. It confronts foolishness. It names foolishness. It helps our kids see what foolishness is and feel the pain of it. A short, again, we saw it in Hebrews, right? Temporary pain to prevent a 30-year pain, which is what they'll see in life. 
Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from your child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. And again, that, that may sound to modern ears like, oh, so you're just whacking him? Well, no. There's a loving, humble, sort of consistent approach to physical discipline that realizes this isn't going to kill him or kill her, but sin will. Foolishness will. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. I can't tell you how many parents I'll sit with that are just so mad at their kids, so frustrated with their kids, and they just resent their children. And usually it's because they haven't disciplined them. That they feel like they're managing a zoo. And in many ways, blame the kids for it. And not because the children aren't sinners or foolish or all those kind of things, but in many ways, like, and so some of it is coming to terms with, okay, I, I've actually let this just go, and I hate my kids. I resent my children. They make my life miserable. And that's what that proverb is getting at. There's a kind of discipline and a biblical discipline that will help you enjoy your kids more. <laughs> that you will actually like being in public with them eventually. You'll actually enjoy, at some point, going to a restaurant with them and not dread it. You'll delight in them, in a way. And the discipline both expresses that delight and cultivates that delight over time. And I think we have to help our kids see it's exceedingly wise for them to respond to our discipline with humility and with honor. And that's something that for Ruth and I, we, we focused a lot on is not just the discipline, not just them owning sin or foolishness and feeling the weight of some of that and restoring, but them really learning to respond to it with honor and respect and gratitude and humility. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And that's bound up in the context of the Old Testament, Old Covenant, going into the Promised Land, but there's a reason Paul decides to quote it in Ephesians, that he thinks there's a New Testament implication here, that, all right, kids, honor your father and mother, respect them, receive discipline from them. That will be the blueprint for how your life goes. How do you really expect your life to go someday? How you'll respond to the government, the police, your neighbors, your friends, any authority in your life, teachers, bosses, that will all be projectable by how you respond to your parents now. And if you want it to go well with you, and you dwell well in whatever life God gives you, honor your father and mother now. Because this is the prelude to all that. And you don't get to skip 20 years of honoring your parents and then just figure it out at 21. It just doesn't go that way. If you've ever like, had a serious habit for 20 years, like a life-consuming, life-controlling habit, something that, that consumes everything, do you just flip a button and go, all right, I'm done with that? Or is it likely that you'll just carry that until God brings a level of suffering into your life that breaks it? That's usually how that goes. And so that's some of what we're trying to, we're loving our kids enough, but we don't want to see that kind of habit form, that kind of responsiveness to authority that is just dishonoring 
disregarding because we're like, okay, that will set the stage for your whole life. Any questions about all that before we keep going? Comments, reflections? Yes, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, how do we ask our kids to show that honor? Or to, I think we start by verbally teaching this and saying, all right, kids, we didn't make this up. This is God's word through his prophets and apostles for your good. And, and so, truthfully, it would be a whole lot easier for me if we just didn't even deal with this. I do have other things to do. And so, just so you know, this honor I'm asking for isn't ultimately for me. It's for you. Because that's exactly how he frames it in Ephesians 6. And this isn't to be, make it selfish. It's just true. It's just what God says. And so it is for your good that you receive this discipline from me, though it feels painful that you ask God to help you see how pleasant it is. Though it's hard that you would help God see how good it is for you. And so I want to see you, number one, receive it. Receive it by acknowledging sin. Receive it by asking for forgiveness. Receive it by making whatever restoration or restitution needs to be made. And receive it by expressing thanksgiving at some point. And, and that may take time. There may be moments where you go, and if you need to go think about that, pray about that. If you need to walk a bit to talk to God, then do that. And again, depending on the age of your kids, what you're expecting is, is changing and how you're expecting that to be expressed. For you know, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, it may just be a hug. It may just be that, okay, they've gotten to a point of tears and they're sorry and you can tell and you hug them, you console them, you remind them of your love for them, God's love for them, and then on you go. For your 12-year-old, your 13-year-old, your 14-year-old, you'd want to see more. Like, I want to see you understanding this and communicating that understanding. And, and again, knowing that what you're trying to cultivate in them is something that's for the next 50 years of their life, Lord willing. And that's part of some of what you're trying to help them see. Um, but yeah, good question. You want this to happen in a healthy relationship. You'll see that point there. You want, this is why it's so important throughout the lives of your kids to spend lots of time with them. You spend lots of time with them. You talk about lots of different things. You're in lots of different kinds of activities. You want just the emotional, verbal, relational dynamic that you have toward your kids to be one of affection and encouragement and delight so that when discipline comes, it's happening in that context. That doesn't mean they're going to like it. It doesn't mean they're not going to try to manipulate by saying, you don't love me. To which you just say, whatever, buddy. Get over it. Here we go. You know, I'm not saying you have to say that, but don't, if, if you're doing the work again, because interesting, I find that kids who really don't feel their parents love them don't express it that way by saying, you don't love me with discipline. They express it by just 
moving on and living their own life, knowing their parents just can't be relied on to care about them. So whenever you're in a disciplined moment, they say, Mom, you just don't love me. You don't believe it. They don't believe that. It's just their way of expressing frustration or anger or making it stop. But hopefully, this is all in the context of a, of a loving, affectionate disposition toward your children. Isaiah 43, 4-7, when even God's talking about the exile and the discipline of the nation and bringing them back, his children back, he says, Because you are precious in my eyes, Isaiah 43, 4, and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I'm with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is God talking about bringing a scattered people back that he's disciplined and chastened. And just that he would say to them, because you're precious in my eyes. Because I love you. Because I'm with you. And so is that message getting through? Is that message being delivered? Because discipline best grows out of that soil of relationship. Because then they really do. But if it's just, yeah, I mostly just hang out on looking at the TV and looking at my phone and busy with work and doing my own stuff. And, and then I primarily interact with my kids when I've had enough and I shout something at them. Or my primary disposition is just one of frustration and irritation. And you know, the message I'm sending is I wish I didn't have kids because it's just too much work. And then in that context, you discipline you can see where the messages are going to be very mixed. It's going to be very hard for them to feel, okay, this is such a loving expression. But if that's happening in the context of a, a relationship that's invested, that there's time and history and relationship, and it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean you've never stumbled or fallen, but we'll get to some of that, that, that it also means you own your own sin in your relationship with them. There'll just be times that you blow it and you know it, where you react in anger, where you say things harshly, and, and then you come back and say, please forgive me. Like that was wrong of me. Where you even model the kind of response, because that's you responding to God's discipline. Where you come back and say, hey, I said that and did that. I just want you to know God just chastened me. <laughs> like I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that how I related to you there was wrong. And so I would just want to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? If you're doing that, like consistently over the course of those years and like you're even, and not just for the sake of modeling, but because you mean it, like you're showing this is you responding to discipline. This is your heart softening when God chastens you. And then you're expressing that and, and that's some of what you're then, now when discipline is happening in that context, that's what you're inviting from them. Doesn't always mean they'll understand it. I remember it's been a few years back when I've told this story before where yeah, we're trying to have a family devotional time at the table, and it was just, I don't know what had been injected into the kids before that, um, but it was like all over the place. Couldn't get half a sentence out without some derailing moment. And after enough of it, I just fed up and just lashed out in anger with words 
perfectly justified because, hey, I'm a servant of the Lord here trying to teach you the Bible. But yeah, just spoke really harshly. And so I said, kids, I just want to say, please forgive me. Like, that was wrong. How I said that was wrong. One of my kids turned and went, oh, were you talking? Like, some of them didn't even hear my angry outburst. And so it's like, yeah, if, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody's there, does it make a sound? It's like, if a parent sins in the presence of their children, nobody's paying attention. Did it happen? <laughs> you know? And so even in it was like this comical moment of this is how far off the rails this is. Um, but, and it didn't help that Ruth just started laughing. You know? And so there's... It did help, actually, that she started laughing. But I still had to follow up and say, well, no, but God heard. God saw. I still need to repair this and ask for forgiveness, even though you didn't notice that it happened. But that's part of what I mean by, you know, there's going to be, again, it's hard. That's part of the hardest part is just, just keeping the atmosphere of the relationship loving and affectionate and tender and that's going to not just have to do with your time with your kids, but your time with the Lord every day. And your time under his hand and in his word. It's alerting our children to the peril of sin. Again, that's a lot of what we're trying to do. Using discipline and the pain of it to alert them to the peril and destruction of sin itself. Where we're saying, hey kids, discipline isn't the danger, sin is the danger. So even to be able to say, so don't worry about avoiding consequences because consequences isn't what's going to be the danger. Sin itself is what the danger is. And so that, that, that's, especially as they get older and older and can comprehend that category more and more, that's part of what we're trying to help them see that that's really the enemy, that that's really the danger. So that we can say, so don't just hide stuff from us. You know, don't, don't just... Make it your goal in life to avoid us disciplining you. Because sometimes you won't be able to, but, but rather even if it's hidden. And that was always a great encouragement. That's when we start even knowing, okay, this particular child really is born again. Um, not just that they confess that Christ is Lord. Not just that they say they believe the gospel. But they started sharing things with us that we would have never known if they hadn't shared it. Where they're just, they're stirred. They realize we need help. And I want to go to my parents and say, this is what I'm trapped in. This is what I'm feeling. This is, this is the anger that's going on inside of me. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? And so that's, that's what, over time, you're praying that God will do in them. And, and to realize that's something that only God can do. But it's those years of discipline that actually laid the groundwork for them thinking you're someone that can help. You're someone that cares enough to take the time to really do that. Um, you don't want them to get to a stage where they're like, yeah, mom and dad, they never have time to talk about anything of length or of depth because historically they've never taken time. And so that's one way in which discipline, really faithful, because it actually communicates, I'm invested. I'm, I'm invested in your soul. I'm, I'm going to take the time to care about these things. That translates to something later that's really encouraging. It's to help them see their need for Christ. That's the other part. <clears throat> it's not to help them just see how rotten they are or how rotten sin is or how inconvenient this is for us or how much they've messed up in our life and household. And It's to help them see their need for Christ. That that's always a 
point of the discipline process that we're wanting to convey. Here's son or daughter, here's what I want you to really see is how much you need a redeemer, a savior, to forgive you, to help you, to transform you over time. And ultimately, we're in his service as we do this. We're here to, to invite you toward him. With an aim toward restoration, that again, that's always the goal. That's always what we're looking toward. <clears throat> is not just to make them feel bad about stuff. It's not to make them behave better all the time. It's not, you know, to just get rid of this problem or this inconvenience. And I remember there are times that I've had to go back and repent of and apologize to my kids where I actually said, I don't want to deal with this again. I don't want to talk about this again. And I remember meaning it. And just had to go back and say, I you know, forgive me. That was an impossible weight I put on you that only probably encouraged you to hide it. It was just me saying this should never happen. This, that you, you should conquer it and never struggle with this again. And so I had to realize there are just different moments where I spoke out of that place of fed upness, inconvenience, I don't want to deal with this again. That rather than actually having the effect of not dealing with it again, it just forced it underground. And, and it was through my own confession, repentance with that with the kids, that that's how you bring that back above ground <laughs> to say. And then even sometimes kids, there's just things that I've struggled with since I was five years old. And it's just still with me. Things that I still need the Lord's help with. And so I don't want you to walk away with that impossible burden that there's just stuff you should quit forever and it'll never come back. And so that's why it's so important to, yeah, it's restoration as a goal, not just stopping sin ever happening. And then to help them see what a continual process reconciliation is, like how continually we have to both repent, seek forgiveness, give forgiveness, convey love and affection, restore broken relationships, and then move forward, hopefully closer, deeper, and this is part of why the discipline process, I think, is so important because you're instilling in your kids that we can work through things. You can restore broken things. That we can have a kind of relationship that is truly secure because when things go wrong, there is a way back. There is a way to recover, a way to restore. And so faithful, this kind of discipline, I think, just keeps pushing that message in um, that we're going to see it through. And it's for the good, for our good, for their good, and for the glory of God. But that's ultimately some of the prayer and the desire. Um, we've already talked about this quite a bit, that faithful parenting does require a certain kind of corrective discipline that's humble and gentle, not proud and harsh. Hebrews 5, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And that's the high priest. Like that's the highest ranking religious leader of the, of the nation. And God says he's beset with weakness. That's why he can deal gently with it. And so usually I find when I'm angry, harsh, or even parenting out of that posture, it's because I've forgotten that, that I am beset with weakness. 
And so we, it's, it's, again, that's as much about our time with the Lord as it is our time with our kids. Like, are we realizing continually that our own besettedness with weakness? So that as we move toward our kids and in discipline, we're able to deal gently with them because we know, like, we're all weak. It's truthful, to be truthful, not false and deceptive. And what I mean here is you're not representing rules and discipline that God has no interest in. Cleanliness is not next to godliness. So don't ever say that. Don't ever parent with that kind of word. Don't ever parent with, okay, God deserves excellence as a means to drive your kids to academic glory or, or athletic glory. Encouraging our kids to work hard is one thing. Requiring certain outcomes of performance and then stamping God's name on it is actually deceptive. It's not truthful. It's, and this is what Jesus is confronting the Pharisees about. Like, you, you teach as doctrines the traditions of men. Like, that's your tradition that you're teaching as if God came up with that. As if God demands that, cares about it. So that's what I mean by even as, this is where we can help each other as husbands and wives and just parents just saying, okay, are we... Are the things that we're really teaching and driving home and standing firm on and disciplining over things that God really does care about? It doesn't mean you can't have certain rules about, okay, here's how you pick up your room, here's how you, but your emotional amplitude in dealing with those kinds of things needs to be proportional to actual sin, to actual wrongdoing, um, because you don't want spilling a glass of Kool-Aid at the table to be sin, as much as just a spill, unavoidable. Now, if they're doing, if you walk into the kitchen and they're doing a handstand on the table and you're coming back and then they spill, and, then okay, there's a foolishness and a recklessness there that you're gonna have to address and correct. But even then, you, you wanna be careful. It's different than stealing. And so we'll talk about that more next week of how do you actually sort of triage the significance of what's happened and sort of discipline accordingly. We've already talked about it. it's meant to be loving and sacrificial, not angry, cruel, selfish. Um, yeah, the Christian dis- discipline and all the things that God calls us to be should never be weak and frail and inconsistent, but it should never be abusive. Like, usually that'll be a sign that if even in physical discipline, if you're bruising, injuring, it, that's, that's not discipline. That's something else. And, and so that's usually the signal, okay, that has to change or go back. Or if in the words that you're speaking, they're, they're actually demeaning, humiliating in a way. Like if it, when you say, what's wrong with you? Like that means something very different than son, daughter, that, that was sinful. What you did was wrong is very different than, you're so terrible. <laughs> you know, and, and so that, that'll be, that's what I mean by loving and sacrificial, not cruel, not demeaning. And whatever that discipline is, we want to maintain dignity, their dignity as an image bearer. And it needs to be fearless and persevering, not avoidant and easily dissuaded. That's a big one. It's got to be fearless, and it's got to be persevering. There'd be so many moments where you just want to avoid it all. 
or you want to stop short, or you're just easily dissuaded. Um, yeah, this is where Galatians 6, 1 through 9 is great on that. And then finally, you want to be generally consistent, because <laughs> I say that because this is the hardest thing. So I'd say, you want to be consistent? Well, generally, for the most part, on average, most days, kind of. <laughs> you know, that's where it'll end up landing. Because what you'll find is every day you'll be like, okay, which of the 50 things are we going to deal with here? And so you're going to have to pick and choose. And so what Ruth and I found is, okay, what are we going to identify as the strategic pivotal moments that we think this thing that just happened is representative of many things, and that's what we're going to do? Because we just found if you try to address everything, you will wear them out, and you'll wear yourself out. But you do want to find the pivotal, key, representative, symbolic nerve center moments. Okay, we're going to really hit this, because this will translate into lots of other things. Attitudinal things, like, okay, here's a stubborn, resistant, angry, defiant posture moment. Okay, we want to, we want to get at that. We want to really go after that. And so we're going to... But just silliness sort of rolling around, just, there'll be other things that, okay, that, I don't like that, but is, do I, how much capital do I want to expend on that versus something that seems much more foundational to, does that make sense what I'm saying there? And so you're, you're going to have to talk through, pray through, and just ask for God's wisdom to tell you what are the strategic moments we really want to capitalize on and generally be consistent across some of those where the things that were a problem yesterday are still a problem today and still a problem tomorrow. Now, that doesn't mean you don't realize at times, you know what, we were wrong about that. We shouldn't have really come down on that piece. We're going to change that. But then usually you just want to let your kids know. Because I know we've kind of said this in the past and this is how we wanted it. Just so you know, we're amending that. We're loosening up on that. But there are moments where you go, you know what, there's something we've been letting go for a while. And we realize we were wrong. So the first thing I want to do is confess and ask for your forgiveness for letting this go for this long. Because moving forward, here's how it's gonna be. So you, because you have to be ready for you changing, for God growing you, transforming you. And so I feel like, you know, with our last couple of kids getting close to leaving the house, Ruth and I are almost ready to be parents. That's what we found. We're getting close, I feel like. In a few more years, we'll really be ready and equipped. And so the process itself is developmental for you and for me. And so you have to be ready for change, but you want general consistency so that your kids aren't guessing every day. What, where is it going to come from? What's, what's actually, what do I need to concern myself with today? Because there's consistency. There's a few practical suggestions there at the end in your notes. We won't have time to go through them. But any final questions, comments, reflections before I pray? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think number one, I'd say that question is the great parenting question we're all wrestling with. How do I get him to not do that? Um, but I think you're being more specific than that. Um, yeah, I think, so some of what I'm getting at there is what I would like, I'll just speak personally about our kids in that moment, if two or three, what I'm wanting him to respond to is not numbers, but my voice. And so I'll say, okay, here's your warning. You need to do this now. And, and then if he stares at me and doesn't do it, now it's discipline. And so I've, I've warned, and I've maybe said, here's what I want you to do. I've given a couple seconds of pause, and he hasn't done it. And so now there's going to be whatever that discipline is going to be in that moment. Um, we'll get to some of that next week. Because I think what I'm wanting to train them in is that it's not a time interval that is the issue, but my instruction. And so I'm wanting them to see that, that when I speak, that's meant to bring weight. And now there's going to be, so when I warn you, that's meant to bring weight that now is moving you in a certain direction. And so you should start moving pretty quick. And if you haven't, and I say, okay, well, then now here's the consequence for that. And so that's why I tend to not like the one, two, three, because then it ends up tuning kids to the number counting rather than what you actually said they're to do and your voice actually being the weight there. Um, or to think that they just always are going to have time. Right. Um, and there's just moments where they won't. But. Yeah. And we don't want to be a household that yells or raises our voice. Yeah. But that's what he wants to be those bows. Really, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's why you have to, all of us as parents have to be prepared for okay, what's going to be my response when they say no to my no? Or when I, so is whatever it is I'm asking, saying no to right now, does it matter? Is this important? And most importantly, does my voice matter in his life? That when I say, okay, I'm telling you right now, I love you, care about you, and you need to stop that. And here's why, and here's what's coming if you don't. Um, or you may not tell him what's coming. You just say, that needs to stop. And then he just keeps doing it. You need to be, okay, what's going to be your response right then? Because especially early on, that's where you want to plant the seeds, that there's a consequence. And so here's what that consequence is going to be. Now you need to be ready for, okay, the fit that comes when you enact that consequence. But then that's, that's some of what you're trying to draw out. And I think this, this is important even as parents, like part of... The fit is not necessarily a bad sign. The fit may be, okay, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. That you, meaning I've said no to something, and I'm now enforcing that, and you're protesting. Well, there's going to be, it's not going to change what we're going to do. And that's, the, that's the, what I mean by um, fearless and persevering. Like, I will win this. Because I love you, I will win this. And you think you're stubborn. I've told our kids that. You think you're stubborn? I am stubborn. <laughs> like, I, I know what stubborn is. And you, you think you can bow up on something like. And so, again, and that's, again, that's love. It's love that says, I will win this um, for your good. But let me pray. Father, we are grateful for this time in your word, grateful for this time together. And do pray that you would... Equip all of us, enable all of us to fulfill what you've called us to fulfill, dependent upon your grace.
trusting in your word, fearless and perseverant in our love for our children through discipline. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.